I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Now, I know that I did this last week, but I have some live dates to announce. Uh, I want to make you aware of these so you can come see me perform in the flesh. Uh, that actually makes me sound like I'm doing some kind of adult entertainment, and I guess in many ways I kind of am. I'm interviewing authors at bookstores. How adult can that be? Uh, well, we'll find out. Please come down to uh, a great good place for books in Oakland, California. I will be interviewing author Taylor Jenkins Reid. Uh, her new book is called Daisy Jones and the Six. And it's a rock and roll novel about a band that was huge in the 70s. And then at the height of their fame, they quit. And nobody knows why until now. The book's narrative is comprised of a series of interviews with all of the members of the band. And nobody in the band has the same recollection as to why things went down the way they did. At the center of it is Daisy Jones and her guitar player, sort of a Buckingham Knicks uh, kind of situation. And they also have uh, totally different takes on, on what happened to that band. It's sort of like Rashomon meets Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. That's how that book reads. It's a great book. Uh, 7 p.m., March 7th in Oakland at a great good place for books. Then on March 15th, we'll be doing a live taping for Stereo Embers, the podcast. It's going to be me, uh, sitting down with U.S. Congresswoman Jackie Speer. This is a big one. I'm excited about this one. Uh, at the Montclair Presbyterian Church in Oakland, uh, we'll be talking about her new book, Undaunted, in which she describes surviving the airport firefight with Jim Jones's henchmen in Guyana. She also talks about watching her mentor die right in front of her there in that very same firefight. Uh, and she goes on to talk about personal tragedies she faced at home. And from there, she talks about what it means to be a survivor and how to take that pain and sadness and turn it into something positive. Again, that's on March 15th at 7 p.m. at the Montclair Presbyterian Church. And uh, I should add that both events, the Jackie Spear event and the Taylor Jenkins Reid event, are free. And both events will have books available for purchase. So you could pick up a couple of copies and have the author sign them for you there. Okay? All right. Hope to see you at both events. Shoot for one out of two at the very least, okay? I'll be looking for you. All right. Let's start the show. It's Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. I tried the speech contains its own division where the trenches go deep in no man's land. One must decide. Black or white, keep the eyes closed and stand at attention. Then return the battle cry. Could have heard my
So you know how in the Guns N' Roses video for Welcome to the Jungle, Axl Rose steps off the bus from Indiana and steps into L.A. with a backwards hat and a wheat straw in his mouth? Well, that's exactly how it happened for Jordan Wright. Like Axl, he's from Indiana, and he arrived in L.A. with dreams of becoming a rock star. But here's the thing. He knew virtually no one there. So that's where our story begins. A nice kid from Indiana who left college with aspirations that could only be realized by leaving the Midwest for the mythic West. Sure, it's a familiar setup, and it's a familiar story, but it's also one that has its successes and its casualties. But... Jordan Wright couldn't be less concerned about either. This is his story, and as far as he's concerned, each minute is its own triumph. I know, I know, that sounds like late-night camp counselor wisdom, but here's the thing. It's true. Jordan Wright is a typhoon of positive energy, and his story is a great one to follow. Now, on this podcast, we've had Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, best-selling authors, and indie rock legends, and their stories are stories we know because after a certain amount of time in this business, an artist's life becomes a kind of shared narrative between all of us. What's so cool about this interview is that nobody really knows the story of City of Sound because they've just started writing it. Now, I'll let Jordan fill in the blanks for you, but I want to tell you something else about this band and about Jordan himself. But before I do that, let me introduce you to the band. Now, even though City of Sound's sonic attack is decidedly epic, the band is comprised of only three people. Guitarist Andrew Lee, violinist Lacey Nova, and Wright on piano and vocals. Putting it simply, City of Sound is a band that shoot for the lights and hit the heavens instead. And I think a great deal of what makes City of Sound so huge has to do with martial arts. Hear me out. An accomplished martial artist, Wright's approach to his music shed some light on the intersection between art and athletics. Both take dedication, desire, drive, and heart, and both rely on the understanding that achievement can only come with exhausting practice. The fact of the matter is, City of Sound have practiced, they've put the time in, and their massive sound comes from a massive discipline. Now, It's time for me to tell you about the band's debut album, and in order to do this, I'm going to read to you something I wrote on Stereo Embers the Magazine about it. That's right, I'm reading my own words on my own podcast and talking about it before I do it. Welcome to postmodern narcissism. (laughs) What the hell, right? All right, here we go. On City of Sound's upcoming album, Silent Empire, Jordan Wright's titular character, Empire, undertakes an emotional odyssey that delves bravely into the depths of the complicated network of the self. A three-part movement, Silent Empire explores the deconstruction of the self, the reconstruction of personal identity, and the path forward after the work has been done. An ambitious oral journey that's set to hit shelves in the spring— Silent Empire is sure to herald what will be a landmark year for City of Sound. Their music is a life-affirming blast of indie rock soul. The hooks are massive, the melodies infectious, and the arrangements epic. Reflective, emotive, and decidedly moving, numbers like Madhouse and Odyssey bring to mind the harmonic heights of everyone from Coldplay to Australia's Gang of Youths. Wright's delivery is a stirring blend of polish and grit, and his compositions are as bold as they are vulnerable. 
Although City of Sound are a young band, they have an out-of-the-box brilliance that makes their songs sound like anthems ready to soar across stadiums. Well, I couldn't have said that any better myself. Uh, So yes, City of Sound do bring to mind Coldplay and U2 and Keen, but their early ambition reminds me of the thrilling heights of those first few Waterboys records. In fact, it was a sound that Waterboys frontman Mike Scott described as the big music. And on a song of the same name, Mike Scott once sang, I have heard the big music, and I'll never be the same. Something so pure just called my name. Give City of Sound a listen, my friends, and I guarantee you, you'll hear them calling your name as well. Now, this interview is a blast. Jordan Wright is entertaining, he's funny, he's smart, and uh, he is just a thrill to talk to. So I'll shut up now and let the conversation do the heavy lifting. This is me and Jordan Wright breaking it down. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. we want to take it as big as we possibly can as an independent band but we don't know so i'm kind of hoping that this is the this is the beginning of a huge momentum shift and just where we're going with all these upcoming releases so man i hope so i mean as of right now we can't complain at all i mean we're loving what we're doing we're loving where we're going well you know what's interesting to me about your band is that you know i've been listening to music for a long time and and always like Mm -hmm. there's a sort of like those scruffy apprentice years you know those first couple of albums are kind of a little rickety and, and <laughs> right you find yourself yeah. you're one of those bands like you guys are coming out of the gates you remind me of the first Coldplay record where it's like it's ready to go wow okay i'm gonna take that one i'm gonna put it in my pocket and i'm just gonna hold that <laughs> one on i'm gonna hold on to that one just <laughs> you know what and hey first i do have to say thank you so much for saying that because so we released i mean i'm i don't know if i don't know if you've heard our demos that we released um, like a year and a half, two years ago, um, we released like a demo package called the apartment diaries. Um, and it was, um, Andrew and I, is it okay if I go into this story? Just please, real quick? no, no, make please. It really short. No, no, okay, you're, this, I, this you is, know. this is the place for exposition. Oh, okay. You know, I just, I hate, you know, I am, uh, I will soapbox and talk way too much. That's why I'm the front man. Um, <laughs> and I just want to make sure I don't go too, <laughs> make sure I don't go too long, too long. Um, and so, um, I guess a lot of people don't know. So when we put our demos together, Andrew and I, Andrew, so Andrew's the guitarist um, in the band and him and I are also production partners. So we produce like all of our own stuff. You know, we master all of our own stuff, mix all that stuff. And when we started, um, I had been wanting to do a project called city of sound for about seven years. And he had, he happened to have um, an interface out here. And I was out here writing, I was becoming a songwriter, writing for some pop acts. Um, and basically just trying to use any of that money to put towards making city of sound. And I met this guy, this great guitarist, and he was just, just starting to jump into the production world. Um, and so we became really good friends. And so we actually made the demos on about probably $300 worth of equipment. Um, you know, just did, did all digital drums, like everything like that. Um, and then we released the demos. So the demos, I guess I would say is kind of our rickety place. Um, if you listen to them, uh, we tried to make them sound as strong as possible. Um, but that's probably, I think that's where we really edged out all those like kind of errors. Um, and every place that we wanted to change, 
Um, so like part one of the album, I guess we really, really look, we knew that we were, we wanted to do this independently, right? Like we wanted to do this all on our own support. And it was like, man, if we're going to do that, we have to come out swinging. Like we have to come out. We got to punch people right in the face. Like we got to make it seem like we are professional as can be. We got to make it sound like it's a hundred thousand dollar production. And so the fact that you just said that right now, I know I took a long time to explain that whole thing, but the fact that you just said that is such a compliment because that's not what I was expecting you to say, and that is a huge feather in our cap. So I'm just going to take that one again. I'll put it in my pocket. That's going to be a good little confidence booster. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. I mean, you guys are fully formed, and and it makes me think that maybe that seven years, that that was a period where you were sort of planning your attack, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. So I, uh, um, I had done kind of a deal with a label back at home. So I'm from, uh, I grew up in Indiana. Um, so I'm a, you know, full on Midwest boy, born in Illinois, raised in Indiana. Um, and I was with a label over there and I had tried to start something called city of sound. Um, and I had just started songwriting. So I was just getting into that process. Um, and they wanted to turn me into kind of like this Gavin DeGraw mixed with kings of leon kind of artist whatever um and just it just wasn't my vibe like no no hate or anything on them it was just it wasn't me um and so i think i really kind of learned those lessons from going from there then to moving out to la to be like hey like i want to be a songwriter i want to do this um i want to figure out a way to start this band i kind of feel like through that journey it really gave me a lot of honest perspective on what i sucked at and what i wasn't good at and what like it, you know it, it kind of forces you to do an about face um when you kind of start from the bottom because when i moved out here i had no connections i had no studios to work in i had nothing um and i think it really kind of forced me just to admit to myself when something wasn't good <laughs> and so i mean that, i feel like that's just really what we're carrying with us now we're just really honest that look we have two rules in studio if it's not honest and if it doesn't punch you in the face with hope then we don't make it um, and that's kind of the rule that we follow. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a good rule. Another Indiana to LA trajectory is like Axl Rose, right? Where, um, yeah. right. So you look at the right. Welcome yeah, to the Jungle yeah. video. And he gets off the bus from Indiana to LA, and he's in the jungle. Right. So, right. No, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that is exactly the trajectory that you have made, where you've made that trip. So how? Take me into that. So was that a a harrowing sort of uh, nerve-wracking transition for you to come to L.A.? You know what, man? So basically, I had come home from college, um, and, and I had finally made the decision that I, I wanted to pursue, pursue music like as an artist. Um, I realized I had somewhat of a tact for songwriting, so I felt, okay – if I can find a way out to LA, maybe I can get to some studios and maybe I can write for some pop acts, make some money, like, you know, totally irrational, like thoughts that I'm totally thinking like, no, it'll be easy. I'll go out to LA for six months. I'll get into big studios. I'll get a huge publishing deal. I'll start writing for major acts. You know, that's kind of the thing that you kind of convince yourself of in order to make like kind of the insane jump. Um, And so basically um, I just worked at home. I saved up a bunch of money for a year and then I had, which is a whole nother story, but I kind of had a, I kind of had a manager, somebody who brought me out to LA who had kind of found me from Indiana that didn't work out for all kinds of 
weird things that happen. Classic story. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, classic. Um, and then, you know, I kind of found myself with absolutely nothing in Los Angeles in this huge city. Um, you know, I thank God, like I had a, I had someone who I'd only known for about a month out here who actually let me stay with them for a couple of nights. Um, I had no place to stay. Um, I even slept outside a couple of times. I called it urban camping. Um, <laughs> just to kind of, <laughs> you know, and like it, just to kind of like find a way. And you know, the thing is, is like, I don't know if it was like a heroin thing or even like a nervous thing or whatever. I had always had this idea of like, look, like I can always go like I can always look, I can always find a nine to five job. I can always do that. And it's like, so I always knew I had like that kind of a fallback, right? Like, it's not like having a B plan, but it's just understanding that, look, I, it can't get much worse than this. Like I got no place to stay. I don't know anyone in this city. I'm not even from this city. Like you pretty much feel like you don't even belong there. And so I was like, so if I can see it through with this, then anything else other than this is going to seem like just a cakewalk. Um, and I guess just kind of having that like rock bottom moment, pretty much like the first month of living out here, it kind of just gave me kind of like a, like, I don't, I don't want to say it was like, a, I don't like, I don't give a shit attitude. Oh, I shouldn't have sworn. No, My no, mom's going to listen to this. No, no, you can, okay, yeah. you can swear. Yeah. I swear I, away. I, yeah. I figured I could swear, but my mom's going to listen to this. She's going to be so disappointed. Um, sorry about that, mom. Sorry about that, but I love that word, so I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, it kind of gave me this attitude of, um, I don't know, man, just like it was just – in the ba- so the, band, the bandmates tell me all the time that I have irrational confidence. I just say it's a part of my frontman syndrome. Um, but I kind of chose to have that irrational confidence right when I hit that rock bottom um, where I kind of just created a rule for myself of as long as I'm honest with myself and I'm willing to grow and I'm willing to take criticism, like I can do this. Um, And that's kind of what I took upon myself was just like, look, like I'm not there yet. I'm not good enough yet. Um, But I'm willing to take the steps to get there. And once I took that, like kind of admittance to myself, all of a sudden doors started opening and I started to get in the studios and I started I mean, dude, I can't tell you how many terrible pop songs I've written um, that have been placed with certain artists that, like, I learned so much from, and they are awful. Like, I have written, like, just bombs. <laughs> I mean, just awful, awful stuff. Um, what, one of my biggest things is when I meet people out here in L.A. Um, look, you meet all kinds of characters out in L.A. Are you in L.A. or are you in New York? Or are you I'm, Seattle? I'm a San Francisco guy. Oh, you're in San Fran? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Okay, so you're in the Bay Area. So, like, so you know, like, even in San Fran, like, you meet all kinds of characters, right? Because people oh, yeah. are just, like, going you – have, you have people going for a million different things. And in L.A., obviously, you know, everyone is trying to be an actor or a musician or, you know, like, who, who, a, a writer or a director. Like, who knows? And the one thing I realized is people love to make excuses for why they're not doing something. And they love to make excuses for why they're somewhat a victim within their industry as to why they haven't gotten somewhere or gotten something. And I don't know, really, really short on, I really found to kind of despise that. Um, And I was just like, nah, man, like just learn to take it on the chin. Like if, if you bomb something, you bomb something, take it on the chin, move on. Like, look, you're going to get your ass kicked out here and you're supposed to like, if you're not getting your ass kicked when you first move out here, then you're doing something wrong. 
Because the whole point of becoming something better and actually getting better at your craft and your art is sucking. Sucking is a part of the process. And I think when people first move out here and that whole story of like trying to make it and trying to make something of yourself, people aren't willing to admit that they suck. And they're not willing to admit that they're not good. They think that when you move out here, you have to immediately project this hologram of yourself, that you're already there, that you're like this whole fake it till you make it thing. And I'm like, no, don't fake it. Like get into the room and like earn those stripes, like grind, like allow yourself like to fail. It's okay. Like allow yourself to suck. Go in, I've been in studios where I've written a song and a producer has not let me, has not called me back into the production room. I've been there. And it's like, that's where you learn. That's when you have to actually face yourself and be like, man, like I screwed that up, man. I totally suck. Um, I have a great friend, shout out Anna Samari. Um, she's a great comedian and like she has bombed before. And she's even told me like she has to bomb. That's the only way she could figure out how to construct a joke. And I don't know. I you know, and I know everyone talks about this stuff, but I feel like people just aren't honest about it. Um, like I didn't sleep in a bed until I got married and my wife moved out here. So the day that we moved into our apartment together, because we got married and um, we got married. Um, she's from Canada. And then she immigrated here. We got married. And then we actually didn't live together until she moved out to L.A. after our honeymoon. And I didn't sleep in a bed. I didn't sleep in a bed the first four years out here until that night when we moved into our new apartment. Wow. And it's like and, and look, and like I'm not saying it's because like, look at me, I make sacrifices. What I'm saying is like you have to be willing to suck. You have to be willing to accept that things suck. And then you have to recognize that those are not excuses. Those are journeys. Like those are a part of the story. And it's just like, I meet a lot of people out here and they want to, they make excuses about that stuff. And it's a woe with me. And I'm like, you know what? No one gives a shit. You chose to be out here. You chose to go through this journey. You chose to chase after this path that only 1% of the people who actually go after this path actually excel in. You chose it. It's like, so don't complain when you chose it. And so when I came out here and I kind of hit rock bottom, I swear, to, I swear I'm going to full circle this. When I hit <laughs> rock bottom, like in that first month, I immediately had to recognize I could either have this woe is me moment and then fall into um, a part-time job where I'm working here in LA and then I just spend years trying to go for it and have this excuse for why I never made it, move back home and then, you know, act like I did something that I didn't or I could accept to myself I have no excuses. I'm sleeping on the floor in this apartment, you know, and I did that for like a year where I just slept on the floor of a living room of a friend who was willing to allow me to pay rent just to sleep on their floor. Like I could either like feel bad for myself or I could recognize I chose this. The whole reason I'm sleeping on the floor right now is not because of anybody else but me and my choices. So once I accept those choices, all of a sudden I was willing to be honest with myself. And man, did that open so many doors and open up so much more of like my honesty with myself of what I wasn't good at, what I needed to get better at songwriting um, with the band, with orchestrating all that stuff. Like, man, like when you come out here, when you go after anything, not even just come out to LA, even if you're working a nine to five job, if you love that job, like anything that happens, they're like, you made that choice. You, you chose that journey. But it's just like, man, like you're, you're not a victim when it's your own choices. And I was, just, and I've just met a lot of people out here, man, where, you know, like they're, they're creative and they're, they're talented, but what holds them back is themselves and their own fear. And even in the band, I mean, I don't know if you know, but like we have this saying that we always say, which is like love over fear. 
you know, and the thing is, is like, man, like once you start making your choices out of fear, like you're going to start with the woe is me. You're going to start the excuses and then you're going to find nothing. How in the middle of all this floor sleeping, did you cultivate a romance with a Canadian girl? (laughs) I'm so glad that that's the question that just came out. (laughs) I have, dude, I feel like I've had so many interviews about the silent empire album and the band and like, I'm so glad you just asked that question because I don't feel like I'm just going to be repeating myself constantly. <laughs> um, you know what? So I actually met my wife in um, Australia, so which I know was super weird. So I had um, I was blessed with the opportunity to go um, to go study music over in Australia for a year, um, and so um, I went over there. Which actually, it's hilarious that being able to go study in Australia was much cheaper than actually going to the school in the United States, which that was talk about that being mind blowing. Um, so I went over there for a year. I met this beautiful, tall, blonde lady, um, who happened to be from London, Ontario, which is actually only six hours from where I'm from in Indiana. Um, we became best friends. We were best friends the whole time. I came back home. We were still best friends. Um, didn't date the whole time we were in Australia. We did it all wrong. We did it all backwards. Didn't start dating until I think a couple months before I moved out to LA. Um, so we didn't start dating until we were actually long distance. Um, and then we just, we kept it strong we kept it going, man. And then, um, I proposed to her when she came and visited out here and now we've been married for four years now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Love of my life. She's my girl. And, um, yeah, she, she has been fully supportive of me, even when we were at long distance, always believed in me. Um, and now it's, you know, now it's paying off. So she, so she arrived in LA and she said, look, we're going to need a bed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, actually, yes. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. We, I had, I, I had found this old air mattress. I'm not even going to get into the story about how I found our apartment, but I was living on a living room floor with this broken air mattress because I finally could afford an air mattress, but it, it was like broken. So it was one, you know, like when an air mattress breaks and after like two hours of sleeping out at night, it fully deflates. Um, it was in like that mode. So that's what I had had in the apartment I gotten. Cause I got our apartment two weeks before we got married and all I had was an air mattress. So she comes in and I got this air mattress in the living room floor of this apartment. And you know, right. It's like a, it's like a 700 square foot apartment, but I feel like I'm a King, right. Cause I haven't been able to even like afford an apartment yet at this point in LA. So I think I got my own kingdom and I think this air mattress is the greatest thing in the world. And here comes my wife and she's like, no, we're going, we're ordering a bed right now from Ikea. We're building it next week. This is what's happening. So she has, she has helped civilize me in very, very good ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just think it's funny that you, that you thought that you could pull that off. Oh, man, dude. Mar- if the one thing marriage has taught me, it is the thing that I cannot pull off. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I'm curious when you – now, where did you go to college? Okay, so – um, I went to, for a year, um, I went to a, a school called the LCU, Lincoln Christian University, um, where I was studying theology and I was studying um, music. Um, but while I was there, it was um, studying classical music, um, which wasn't necessarily what I was interested in. 
Um, and then, um, while I was over there, I got contacted by a school in Australia. Um, it's called Hillsong Music School. So, um, Hillsong United is some, is they're like this, like really huge, um, like worship spiritual, um, band who like tours all over the world, whatever. But, um, there was a college and it was a Hillsong music college, which is where that band came from. Um, and they had, um, basically, you know, offered and asked me, um, if I would be interested in going over there. Um, which I thought would never happen. Um, lo and behold, you know, got blessed enough that I could end up going over there, ended up finding out that it was, you know, actually cheaper from going to school here. Um, so I went over there and then I actually studied music over there for a year and I was going to end up staying there until I got my diploma. Um, but something was just bringing me back home and, and I wasn't homesick or anything. There was just something where I felt the, like, I felt like I was just, I don't know. There was something pulling me back that there was something I needed to do. And so I actually ended up leaving after a year and coming home. And then a year later, I moved out to L.A. Now, I know that you knew this, but did it occur to you that you moved to L.A., you had no connections, and in many ways, for some people, that would be a huge disadvantage? Looking back at it now, man, I was such a fool. I mean, just like just, it just if I were to talk to myself now of what my thoughts were and my expectations, flying from Carmel, Indiana – to Los Angeles, California, I was such a fool, but like, yeah, man, I, I had no connections. I knew nobody. And if anything, I actually started on a bad foot because the person, when I first moved out here, um, there was, it was a manager, um, who obviously go unnamed, um, that basically took me under his wing, um, which was a really big connection I had out here. And then things, um, things fell through with us. <laughs> Uh, long story. Um, things fell through with us in that first month. Um, and that is what burnt that bridge. So actually, if anything, I kind of started with negative, right? Because <laughs> I had already kind of been cut off from this one side of the music industry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. You know, it's funny. You asked me that question. I've never thought of it like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess thinking about it, yeah, I had no. Yeah, I had no connection because all in, all the connections I made was actually through where I was working um, when I was out here just trying to survive and get by, and that's where I started networking, and that's what got me into studios.
crawled into the dark where we had to stay falling. Strangers filled the mind, but here tonight, let the madhouse come. You know, because a lot of people who are listening to the show are aspiring musicians, and they're probably thinking, like, well, how can I follow mm-hmm. Jordan's trajectory and end up with a hot girl from Canada? This is. <laughs> And she is hot, man. Yeah, she is hot. <laughs> but I guess like what what you're saying is, is that you have to sort of you do have to network. You've got to put yourself in situations where you meet people. I mean, I mean, look in this city. No matter where you work, no matter where you are, um, if you are genuine and you actually care about people and you actually care about who they are and you don't disregard them, which happens in the city all the time, people disregard each other's existence. Um, they completely disregard like what you're looking for, what you're striving for. If you genuinely care about people in conversations and when you're meeting them, doors are going to open up because in this city, everyone is networked to something. There's a million different ways to actually fall into the industry you want to get in. There's a million different ways um, to get into a room. Um, And what it all comes down to is actually not trying to push your agenda on somebody else. It's genuinely caring about them as a person. And all of a sudden, you find doors start to open. Um, and look, just real quick, any if anybody's list, I totally forgot that people were getting, like, I almost thought we were just on a phone call for a second. Totally <laughs> forgot we were doing a podcast. So it's, it's just classic. Um, anybody who's listening to this, and you are a striving artist, or you are somebody who's trying to figure out, well, how do I do this? How do I get out there? Look, all I can say is, one, be honest with yourself about criticism. This whole thing about don't listen to the haters and all that, it's bullshit. Listen, listen to the people who criticize you because sometimes they're going to bring up things that you need to work on. Obviously, you have to be selective with that. You have to have the intuition to recognize when something is envy and when something is, is being honest. Some of the people who care about you the most are going to be the ones who criticize you the most because they know that you can be better. So that's the first thing, being honest with yourself. The second thing is just go. Like, just go. If you're willing to be honest with yourself and grow and be better, then just go. Um, you just, you, you really got to learn, like, that you just got to be willing just to beat the shit out of life for what you want. Um, life isn't fair. Life isn't going to hand you anything. And it's like, so you just have to put yourself in the situation. If you put yourself in the situation and you're willing to be honest with yourself, reflect, grow, then you're going to go out and at some point you're going to start kicking ass. Now, you're going to get your ass kicked a lot more before you start kicking ass. But there's going to come a point where I, I always had these things that I call made it moments. Um, like my first placement. Uh, my first placement almost went nowhere, right? But for me, it was huge. For me, it was huge. For me, I, I felt like all those days sleeping on a floor, all those days having no place to live, all those days literally not being able to afford any food and only having $2 in my bank account and trying to figure out where my next meal was going to come from. Like that was a made it moment for me. And I hold on to that even still. Um, like I even, I booked like a commercial out here, even though I wasn't an actor, that for me was huge for me. It, it, it breathed life back into me because it was a made it moment. Now, does anyone, will anyone ever see those or ever hear that song? Probably not. But that's not the point. The point is that for me, it kept me breathing for an extra month. And for me, that's a made it moment. That was me showing myself, I can do this. And so for anyone who's like striving to try to come out here and if you want to do it independently, you want to get signed by a label or you're, you, you want to get management, you want to be an actor, if you want to be a writer, if you want to freaking work in a company, you want to work your way up, 
all of that is creative. Even working a nine to five job, if you love it, like you're being creative, you're creating something like just go, just go. And that's why I always say like choose love over fear and then just go stop giving a shit, stop being insecure, stop trying to think that you have to become something before you do it. No, just go be willing to learn, be willing to grow, be willing to listen, be willing to change yourself. And then you can go become something. Anyway, sorry, that's my only soapbox moment for the conversation. I swear. <laughs> no, that's, that's powerful advice. And, and, I, and I wonder, how have you been in your life in terms of taking a note, accepting criticism? Is that something that you had to sort of grow into, or were you always pretty receptive? Um, you know, this is going to sound really weird. Um, I, I would say that that first understanding first comes from um, – it actually would probably come from just um, when I first started training in, like, martial arts, um, I was a really angry kid, um, and I had a lot of, like, anger issues and just a lot of really irrational um, things that I would think and just, I don't know, I was I was a very insecure person. Um, and I think um, a lot of the anger and a lot of that made, it, made me always think, like, I could never be wrong and those kind of things. And it wasn't until I started training in martial arts that um, – I mean, you know, like that the first the first time you have someone strangle you, right? It's it's a really it's a really honest moment because you realize you want to make excuses as to why it happened, but in reality, if there was no coach there, if there was no gym there, you'd be dead. And that's a really honest moment to have with yourself and it forces you to face yourself. Um and I think that was the first part because I had to learn. I had to accept that I did not know. I had to accept that I had to change in order to become better at that. Um, and so martial arts training really, really changed my perspective just in life in general. Um, and just in the hardness of the training, um, the, the will that you had to have to get through even one session to come back. Um, that's honestly where I really started learning that no joke. And I carry that with me, even into the music industry with how we approach the band, um, how we approach being an independent band and how we approach, um, trying to get in front of new fans, putting on shows, all that stuff. So I would say that's where all that started. Was there ever a moment for you where you went, ah, I got to go back to Indiana? Or did you say, I am never going to admit defeat? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to let that happen. <laughs> I was never going to admit defeat. Hell no. Never. Ever. And, and I still won't. We're still not to the place where, um, where I believe that we've built our kingdom yet. Um, you know, we're getting there. And um, we have an amazing... We have an incredible fan base. We are so blessed by the fan base that we have. And we have such a diverse fan base, people from all different lifestyles. And it's, it's awesome, and we love it, but we're not there yet. We, I mean, we, you know, we, st we still got to monetize the band. You know what I mean? We still got to get everyone in the band living off the band. That's the goal. That's, that's the goal we want to get to. And it's like, we're not there yet. Um, so I'm still in a place, man, where I'm like, we will not accept defeat. I mean, we will not go down. And I, I have carried that with me. Ever since I moved out here, when I moved out here, I decided that no matter how bad it gets, I am not going home. Um, and that was always some, and it's not that I never wanted to go home because I, I love Carmel, Indiana, man. The Midwest is where my heart is and it always will be. I mean, I, Chicago is like my city. Um, that's the city that I love. Um, but I recognized to do what I wanted to do and the purpose that I had chosen, um, again, goes back to what I was talking about before. I accepted that I chose that purpose. So anything that happened was because of my choice. Um, so, yeah, 
No defeat, man. Never giving in. <laughs> and, and isn't isn't one of the principles of martial arts is that no matter who your opponent is, if it's an eighty five year old woman who's four feet mm-hmm. tall or or a six foot five uh twenty one year old, you all, you have to assume that <laughs> right you have to assume that either one of them can kick your ass, right? So you always. 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 So always. you come to LA and do you think that part of it is that you had a very healthy understanding of the hardships that could come uh, from from living in a city knowing no one and having nothing. Absolutely. I had spent years getting my ass kicked, so me getting my ass kicked one more time was not going to hurt me. And that was always something I always approached myself with, man, was just I've been through sparring rounds and even even though I don't like to talk about this much, but like I like you know like I competed in MMA and like I've had my ass whooped. And, like, I know what that's like. And there was nothing that was going to happen in the city that was going to be worse than being locked in a cage with another dude who wants to smash your face in. And carrying that with me, there was nothing in the city that was going to keep me from moving forward. Is that something you don't like to talk about because it was just a, a different career? Yeah, also just because I think a lot of, I don't know, then people start thinking that like you're something you're not uh-huh. and there's like an aura around you that like you're so badass and all this stuff and i'm not dude i'm just a musician like i'm a front man like i i train with dudes i still train now because it's a love that i'll never lose you know i train with like pro fighters who would destroy me uh, hey shout out to ronald cruz nico ruiz <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that out there a win a boxing uh tits planet perfect sorry i'm just throwing all those in no it's um, good but you know like but you know like when you work with guys like that um, I think there's a respect to be had. So I don't like to talk about it a lot because those guys are competing professionally. Um, all, all I ever did was like amateur. And so it, when, when I start throwing that out there, people start thinking that you're on this level as those kind of guys, um, which I see as kind of a disrespect for the sacrifice they made. So that's the reason I don't like to really talk about it. Also because I'm not nearly as talented as they are. Um, so that's why. I think a guy who balanced it really well is David Lee Roth, who who actually a lot of people know he's into martial arts, but he he actually yeah. is a black belt in several martial arts. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, he's a savage. <laughs> he is, yeah, and there's a, there's an athleticism to what he does on stage, which I think has is yeah. rooted in martial arts. Absolutely, a hundred percent, man. I mean, and dude, I'll tell you, um, look, it, it it keeps me so healthy, even my voice. Um, and it keeps me eating healthy. So my voice stays strong. Um, you know, I don't lose my voice after shows or during shows. All that comes from that kind of training. Just out of curiosity, how did LA, the, the myth of LA, how did it match up to the reality? Hmm, that's a great question. Man, you have to, you're, you're serious. Literally, I literally did so much prep, like to be ready for like questions about the outset. And man, you're throwing like some wrenches in it and it's awesome because you're actually making me like genuinely you're making me genuinely like have to think this is a this it's like a part of my i guess story that i have not thought of in since i've even moved out here so you're making me like you're making me like face all that stuff again and i'm like oh my gosh like i haven't even never even spoken about this before um you know what it's interesting when i came out to la god this is gonna sound this is gonna sound so douchey i didn't even think about what the city was like Um, I didn't think about what it looked like, what the aura was around it. I didn't think about the aura around Hollywood because I came out here knowing that there was a job to be done. Um, like it it wouldn't have mattered if I was in, 
you know, I mean, if, if I was in Alaska or if I was up in like the Dakotas or if I was still stuck in the Midwest, there was a job to be done. So it didn't matter what was around me or what it looked like. I wanted to hit the ground running. Um, and so LA as a city, I, I hadn't, I never really built up any kind of idea. I just thought it was, it's just another city. And I was just keeping that in my head. It's just another city. I'm here to do something and I'm going to do it. That was honestly my approach. Um, obviously the first time I accidentally went down to Skid Row, that was, that was definitely a, a hit of reality, um, which is a whole nother story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess that's my answer. I think that's a boring answer. Um, no, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's it. I mean, you, I, I imagine that growing up there's, there's a kind of like mythical idea of going out West and, and yeah, yeah, right? yeah of course. Those yeah, of, of course. And, and, you know, I also grew up, this sounds so bad, but I obviously grew up with the, you know, the whole stereotype that, you know, all the, all those people like on the Western coast, like, you know, they're all pretentious and uppity trying to think they're better than the Midwesterners, you know, that whole, you know, there's that whole thing. Uh, and so I think I definitely did have a little bit of that when I moved out here. Um, but that went away really quick when I met the people of LA and, you know, I started making friends here and realizing like that there are some really genuine, beautiful people out in this city, um, that make this city what it is. Was your mom, it sounds like you guys are very close and it sounds like your mom is super cool, <laughs> right? If you guys are, if you guys are, if she's listening and, and you have a hip mom, was she supportive of, of you doing this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but I, I have been blessed with two parents. Um, look, we, um, when I grew up, like, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of money, um, you know, but we were blessed to live in a really amazing town. Shout out to Carmel, Indiana. Um, another one of my loves. Um, like we were really blessed to live in a really great town. Um, and I live with a really loving family. And even though we didn't have much and, um, you know, like we, you know, we didn't do a lot of crazy, like, family vacations and all the, some of the stuff I hear about, you know, even out here of like people and what they've done with the family, like, Oh my goodness. Like I can never even think about that, but I was blessed with a family that was so supportive. Um, and, uh, that just always, there was never a time that I was ever told not to believe in myself. Um, and that's something I think I carry with, uh, carry with me now. Cause even my siblings were all the same way. Um, my parents even still so supportive even though mom, dad, if you guys listen to this, I'm sorry that I still haven't called in like a month and I never call you guys. Um, <laughs> but you know what, but, but they're so understanding. Um, and they're just so proud of every, like one of the kids in my family. Um, and they're so, so supportive of us. So I, I've always had a relationship with my parents where, um, I think, you know, I'm, I've always kind of been a little bit of, um, I think an outlier in the family just cause I'm super weird and I'm super out there. Um, but my parents never once held that against me or anyone in my family. They always accepted it and saw it as a strength. So a month, come on, that's too long. <laughs> a month? You've been it is to too long. Yeah. I, I have texted them. Okay. I swear. I have texted them. <laughs> so there's been contact. <laughs> <laughs> is, now, getting back to martial arts, did it, does that discipline inform your creative discipline? Are you really good at getting down to business and working? Absolutely. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but so our violinist, Lacey, she still fights. She still competes. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so she competes in Muay Thai. Um, I actually, I, I cornered her for her last fight and put her through a last fight camp. Um, so, you know, it, it's just a hobby of hers. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's kind of a cool thing because it allows me to kind of vicariously live through her still and what she's doing. 
Um, so yeah, she still competes. Um, she's a fiery little thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, when it comes to just like the creative side, look, you know, I, I always tell people it's interesting because like martial arts is a very creative thing. Um, you know, you're very much, I mean, it's, it's the full expression of the body, right? So whether you're doing jujitsu or you're boxing or doing Muay Thai or judo or Sambo, um, or wrestling, like no matter what you're doing, like you are artistically, um, like you're artistically representing yourself in a way, just the only thing is in a way of violence. Right. Um, but it's very, very similar to the same thing when you're songwriting, when you're creating tracks, it's the same emotion and the same feeling that you're trying to conjure up. Um, it's the same thing that you're trying to invoke in someone else. Um, and so I always found like that discipline that comes with the martial arts. I mean, man, it, it helps so much when, when I have to devote, um, you know, 12 hours in a day to songwriting. Um, we're doing it with a song right now that we're writing for part two of the album. Um, for any of those people listening, our album is in three parts. Um, and so I have to, you know, I'm trying to finish these lyrics and like our songs do take me a long time to finish out. And so that discipline to literally shut everything off for all those hours and be like, okay, I have to get through this and I have to put like my best foot forward and try to find these lyrics and try to find this narrative and try to find what we're trying to communicate. It a hundred percent translates directly to exactly training in like something like martial arts. We, we were joking about, about you doing things uh, backwards and it's, but in many ways, like with your with your album, you're almost doing it forwards. Like you're you're doing it ahead of the game because most albums that come out that are this ambitious are kind of like five or six albums in by a band, and this is such an ambitious f- first effort. Um, oh man, you you said it. It feels ambitious. Like I'm just with just with oh just with the just with kind of the I guess the effort that everyone in the band's putting into it. Like. Um, you know, it was one of those things we had a conversation as, as a band at the beginning of last year, after we had released the demos, we kind of gained a little bit of a following and we had a conversation, um, by the end of, by the beginning of the year, last year, I finally had been able to, um, get us our own studio. Cause Andrew and I, we also write like pop songs with some artists and do some, um, songwriting and production, all that through the studio. And so we needed a spot. So we got a studio, we sat in, we're like, Hey, now we have the capability to create an album to really create the sound that we're going for the narrative, the story. And we started talking about it and I kind of spilt my heart out to them of what I wanted to make an album about and what I wanted to do. Um, and they really jumped on board and they had some great ideas that even morphed it and evolved it. And we kind of came to the conclusion of, look, we want to do this as an independent rock band. Um, you know, like the farthest we would even do is doing like a, independent deal of like distribution, whatever we had decided that's as far as we'll go with any kind of rep or label. And I was like, so look, this, that's this is what that means. That means this might be our only chance we ever put out an album. Cause then, you know, we had to face the reality of it could all end after this because you know, there's a lot of money going into it. There's a lot of effort. I mean, everybody's sacrificing something. It's like, so if that's the case, let's go for it. And we have recognized that we didn't have the following to drop a full album right because we don't have you know we don't have a massive fan base so like if we just dropped an album it could land on silent ears minus you know a couple thousand people and it's like no we want to build this momentum we want to build a tsunami we want to get publications behind it we want to get um reps behind it who are who are willing to endorse it um and then we kind of came to this idea of what if we choose this narrative and message on the album but we break it up into three parts that allows us to release 
each part at some certain point within the year with the release show, um, get publications behind it and really try to get ahead um, of what other people are doing. Cause I mean, at least as far as I know, like no one has really broken up an album like this. Um, and I think it's great for us because as an independent band, it turns as many eyes and ears towards us as possible. Um, and so we're trying, I mean, I, I feel like we're doing a good job. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're trying to create that momentum. Um, I, I'm really excited. Um, we've been working on part two right now. Um, cause we're actually going to release, um, the title track of the album, Silent Empire, we're going to release it at our next show, um, which is March 16th at the Study Hollywood for anyone who wants to come out to L.A. to see us live. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just those quick plugs. Um, so we were even just working on that today. And, you know, part two is the darkest part of the album. Um, and I'm just so excited to see where it goes and even see where part one continues to build momentum. We've already had a lot of people. We've gained a lot of new listeners, even in the last week. Um, who have just heard part one for the first time from playlists on Spotify. Um, and man, I mean, I just look at the end of the day, like I, I want it to serve a purpose. I mean, the album has a purpose. We have a message behind it. I just, I want it to bring conversation. I want it to make people, you know, leave a seat at that table for everyone else. I want it to dissolve a tribal culture. I want it to create resolution, you know, I mean, just all these things and, we know it's a tall order. We know that it's highly unlikely. We also don't give a shit. Um, and I think that's what it all comes down to. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And, and, and what's so cool about the album is that, you know, the narrative is very much autobiographical, but it's also universal. Hmm. Wow. Man, you're, cr you are crushing this interview. I'm telling you everything. That I'm like, man, like, just, I'm like, man, he just nailed this on the head. Like, dang, like he's, to I'm like, you totally get it. And honestly, it's so funny. You said that. I mean, that was a huge goal of the album. And it, it honestly, I do have to say, um, it, it very, that means a lot to me that you just said that because that felt like one of the tallest orders to me on the project was, um, making that an obvious thing. Um, so the fact that you just said that, I really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, you know, it's just a whole thing, you know, um, I didn't believe in us making a project that didn't have some kind of a commentary, but I also didn't want that commentary to be divisive. Um, I didn't want it to be political. Um, even though obviously people can, you know, people have pulled, um, political things from our songs, which is totally fine. I love when people get a certain translation out of a song, um, and they tell me what, um, how it hit them but I didn't want it to be divisive. I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be human and I wanted it to be something that everyone on a certain level could connect with. But at the same time, it's something that is um, very specifically our story. Um, all three of us are very different people, but we've all had very similar journeys with reflection and facing ourselves. And just when I was looking out at the world, you know, when I was writing part one of the album and road mapping the album and coming up with the narrative, um, I had just come to this at least opinion um, that the process of self-reflection and us being willing to face ourselves um, had been lost on society, um, which is why we have created such a tribal nature, which is why we try to find our identities and things outside of ourselves instead of going through the struggle and the journey to find out who we are um, within ourselves and then allowing that to allow us to become something greater, which then allows us um, to be willing to interact with each other in a much more beautiful and honest way. Um, I just, w I wanted to create a project that really attacked the tribal nature, um, 
within our society, which is interesting because as we're writing the album, you know, I mean, you know, even as, you know, you know, even as a political climate, you know, it, it, it has just become an incredibly volatile and divisive and tribal um, place. And so, you know, obviously, again, tall order. And I, and I understand that. But I do feel like, at least in my heart, that what we're doing is I truly believe that we are making a project that people can at least relate to on a surface level. Um, that everyone can relate to that human story of facing yourself and becoming something more. Um, and so that's kind of what part one is. So part one, you know, the whole album is based around his character empire, um, which is why the album's called silent empire. Cause the whole thing is that she's always been, um, you know, she's been silent in the way of never being honest with herself. And so like the first part, part one of the album, um, if you listen to odyssey through the madhouse to race to the sea, even in the beginning, it is the start of her recognizing the things um, that she needs to face and the things that she has put off, um, which is like even the song, the Madhouse, um, you know, just like the, the recognition of like being this victim and then like a lot, like creating all these things in your head that are not true um, race to the sea of her recognizing the tribal nature that she's created in her own ideology and how it has totally separated herself from humanity. And then seeing that in humanity, um, odyssey, odyssey, like this whole thing of like, you know, bridges burn, like your colors fill the streets, you know, like this whole thing that she's beaten down and like this thing that she's created has just imploded on itself because none of it was real and her willingness to stay around and like seek the storm and to face herself. Um, that's what I love about part one, because part one takes you through that recognition of like, man, like we, we can all have this honest moment. And honestly, like I have that moment constantly. It's not something where you go through it once and that's it. Like it's, it's in multiple, multiple places within our lives. And I love this character going through this process of reflection where part two is her actually going, like now she's going through the process So part one, she has recognized, um, that her identity has been decided by things that she's attached herself to um, and that she has turned herself into something that she's not and that she's never been willing to face herself or face her insecurities. Um, and so she recognizes that. And the part two is her actually going through the journey, um, which is why part two is the darkest part. Um, and that's what I'm kind of excited about because I'm excited to see what people take from it. And I, and I also know, look, I recognize like the pretension in everything I'm saying. And I recognize like how it seems just so overly done and all that stuff. Um, but I honestly believe that we are delivering. I truly do. I, I truly believe that we're delivering on those concepts. Um, and all I can hope for is that when people listen to it, like it speaks life into them, like it breathes hope into them, um, that there's so much more, there's so much good to be done. Um, that, you know, like th there is such a power, to being honest with yourself and facing yourself because of what comes out on the other side. Um, so that's just the hope, man. That's the hope from the project. I, I, I want, I want our shows, which has been great to see. I want our shows to attract people from all different lifestyles, to attract people from all different ideologies, from all different faiths. And they come into one room and they realize they're like, we're not so different. Um, and, and my hope is that that creates a spot at the table um, where people see conversation over condemnation. Um, and that's where that whole thing of like love over fear comes from. And I mean, that's, look, that's the goal. I mean, that's it. What, what I love about the, the concept of the three movements is that 
if you do the work and you do the examination, the journey mm-hmm. continues, and, right? Yeah. So it's like if you yeah. if you don't do the work and you don't do the reflection and you don't get the insight, the journey continues the wrong way, right? Where yeah. you just you keep going the same direction. Whereas if you do the work, the album seems to insist that like a, the journey continues, but in a totally different direction and totally different way. I need to put you on interviews when people ask me about the album. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what I'll do is I'll, I'll corner for you like you did for your violinist. Oh, my God. Yeah, seriously, please. Because, <laughs> and, that's, and that's why I'm so excited for part three because um, part two, the final song, I'm currently writing right now. But it's kind of – part two is going to kind of end with the process by finally being done. Um, and it kind of is her looking back at where she's come from. Um, but part two kind of ends with her like she's become – um, and then part three is like, what do you do with that? Um, what do you do when you've gone through this process? What do you do when you have, you have found like that, that person that you wanted to become? And so what part three is, is and in my opinion, at least you then reach out to other people, um, in a way of like an encouragement and speaking life and being w- willing to like stand beside them, like as they want to try to become. And it's like, so part three is all like, what do you do? post that process now um because you're, you're not supposed to just like keep that to yourself you're not like you, you have to speak life in other people the same it, we have a rule in the band basically based off of my arrogance um <laughs> is that however highly i believe in myself i have to believe in everyone else into that same standard um and it's kind of that same thing that i want to go into part three is like when, when you finally have become um, that thing that you've been seeking and you finally have faced yourself and you've gone through this process. Now it's time to see that same thing in other people. And now it's time to see that same potential in everyone else to see that they also, um, have that. It's not just in you. You know, I know everyone wants, you know, everyone wants that belief of like, look, there's something that you can give the world that no one else can. And I'm like, is that true? There's a lot of people, but imagine if we all were willing to go through the process just to face ourselves, just to see what we can become. Right. Because um, what's more powerful, you having something that only you can bring to the world or you having something that you know that you can come together with somebody else and do something incredible for the world? Which one of those is more powerful, the collectivism of it or just the single one thing that you can do it and then when you're gone, no one else can do it? Um, and I don't personally believe in that philosophy. Um, and so I love this idea of someone who goes through this journey and goes through this struggle and goes through this process. They become something, and the first thing they do isn't to make themselves something, but it's to pour into other people and to speak life into other people. Um, and that's what I want part three to deliver on. Again, tall order. I'm totally aware of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but we're really excited about it. And, you know, and honestly, what we're hoping for is we're hoping that it expands our fan base tenfold. We're hoping that um, it allows us to fully tour. We're hoping that it, we, we really generate a name that in some way become something, you know, of the mainstream and that we can become um, a band that uh, people know. And that's what we're hoping for. And that's what we're shooting for. But, you know, either way, we're going to either way, we're going to be doing the project no matter what. Can you describe what you're shooting for w- with your sound? You know, what do you want people to feel? I want people to feel like they're in a movie when they listen to our music. Um, I want to feel like they're the hero of their story, as cheesy as that sounds. Like, I want them to feel like they're the hero of their own story when they're listening to our music. Um, and, and that whole big sound is something I always wanted. I had always dreamed that. Because, look, I, the music I listened to growing up, like, was heavy metal, 
um, like mainly hardcore music, um, huge sounds, like just huge, aggressive, like undertones, like, but then also movie scores. I would also listen to oldies. I would also listen to classic rock. Like, so I kind of had this whole influx of all these different influences, but I always wanted this cinematic feel that just like pulled on the heartstrings and made people just want to kick ass. Like that's what I wanted the most. Um, and I just wanted to bring that in some way into almost like, I guess like an anthem rock world. Um, Cause that's something I respect so much about you too. Like what they've done. Um, obviously even Coldplay and Muse, um, all these bands have brought about this like almost cinematic adventure that they bring um, to people when they listen to it. It, it makes you want to do something. Um, it makes you want to go just like kick ass and just like bring something to the world. And I wanted to bring that out in our sound. Well, and, and what I love about your band is that it's just rippling with sincerity as well. You know, it's funny you say that because even in the songwriting, whenever I'm writing a song, I always have to ask myself, is it honest? Um, because once I feel like I'm pandering to something or once I feel like I'm saying something I don't fully believe, but I think people will like to hear I always have to make myself toss it in the trash can um, because like I believe even if someone, let's say I write a song that people don't fully agree with. I truly believe that if I do write it with that sincerity um, of me being truly honest about at least my experience and what I see, I think people have a lot more grace for that than they do when someone is just writing them what they think they want to hear. Yeah, I mean, and th- and that's a v- again a high standard, but I think that's a great way to keep yourself in check, <laughs> right? Accountability, man. Yeah, yeah. Account- trust me, I dude, I've come in the studio with lyrics, and I'll be really honest. I'm like, guys, hey, we look over these lyrics and tell me they'll tell me straight up, dude, these suck. And I'll go, all right, <laughs> back to the drawing board. <laughs> Uh, well, man, I, I'm so excited to, to catch you at this point in your career. It's really exciting to chat with you. It's so cool to sort of, you know, be at this moment with you uh, because mm. things are about to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I just think, OK, selfishly, I can say I was there. I was there first. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, but but you're, you're a hell of a guy. And it, it's really it's really fun to talk to you. Oh, dude, thank you so much. That's so sweet. I mean. And hey, man, I, I do have to say, too, um, look, I mean, I appreciate all the compliments, you know, about us, you know, about going somewhere and stuff. And I, and I truly do hope and I truly do believe that's going to happen. But I do want to say um, having people like you in our corner at this stage truly means everything to us. Um, so I do have to say, like, thank you, um, even just having me on the podcast, anything like that, because all these things that even just get even a mention of our music out. Um, it is such a huge, uh, it's such a huge, I guess it, it, it gives us momentum. Um, and it, and it keeps, it tells us to like, keep going forward. Um, so th- these kind of interviews, talking to someone like you, even like the, even the sincerity that you like put on the project and showing that like you truly listened to it and you've truly gone through it. Um, that gives us a lot of fuel. Um, and I, and I think a lot of people, especially in publications and stuff like that, um, even like stereo embers, I, I don't think a lot of people recognize the fuel that you guys give to artists like us. Um, so I do have to say like, thank you. Well, it's my pleasure, my friend. Uh, listen, good luck with the band and, uh, Jordan, for God's sakes, go call your parents. <laughs>
How about that guy? Sweet, sweet guy, Jordan Wright. Kind of radiates charisma. Uh, I really like talking to him. Uh, If you want more information on City of Sound, go to cityofsoundmusic.com. Do not go to cityofsound.com because on that site, it's just a guy writing essays about architecture. So... Uh, that's what you're going to find there. Uh, you'll find me at alexgreenonline.com. Visit me there. Follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. Stalk me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. Email me, editor, at stereoembersmagazine.com. Maybe there's someone you want me to get on the show. Tell me who you want me to get, and I will do my best. I will do anything because it's for you. Ah. Hey, listen, you can do something for me. Go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to Bombshell Radio, leave a nice comment, leave a rating. We really appreciate it. So thank you in advance for that. Let's close the show off with a new song from City of Sound. This is Race to the Sea. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next week for another episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast. I tried the speech contains its own division with the trenches go deep in no man's land one must decide black or white keep the eyes closed and stand at attention then return the battle cry could have heard my
Let's make it.